0: Hello, I'm Pastor Paul. Thank you for joining us on Lowell AG's online service. If you're watching this online in YouTube, Vimeo, Facebook, or even our website, or lolag.online.org, we're grateful that you're here. And I just ask you to take a second to look at the many different links and things that are connected. And if you would look like, share, and even follow what we do, we'd be grateful. A lot of work goes into this. And especially today, I really believe What I want to share with you is probably one of the more challenging and yet critically one of the more important messages that I think that God has for us. Before I do that, I want to just say two things before I pray. Whenever you go to a mall back in the day, it'd have a, a directory and it would always have a spot that says you are here. It'd mark the point where you are. I know even as I'm sharing and this is reaching you and playing whenever whenever you're watching it in cable access or online or you know sunday or any other day of the week we're all at a different spot there's some of you that are watching this that you're skeptics of christianity others of you you're fanatics some of you are balanced in in the middle and some of you have tendencies towards genuine questions i used to always say this when i taught in a bible college i would i would ask my students i'd say how many of you struggle With the idea that did we make this idea of god up in our minds did we create it just to culturally comfort ourselves how many of you ever had that thought pass through your mind throughout the whole room students would raise their hand because we gave that moment of intellectual honesty and so i want you to know that i'm i'm not concerned if you're skeptic in fact i'm really honored that you take time to listen to it Uh, in a in a day that we live in truths can fly by so fast that they don't get the attention span that they deserve and so I want to thank you for giving this, this message, this moment, the opportunity to fully hear it out. This is going to be one of several that I share with on this topic that I'll open for you in a second. The other is that some of us are, are uh, we could call them Jesus freaks or fanatics. We're sold out for God. You know, we're church people. The problem that we might tend to have is that you'll hear me begin to talk about something and instantly fill in the blank and finish my sentences. In the book of Jude, which is the third smallest book in the Bible, second smallest book in the New Testament, has about 450 words, very, very tiny. He starts it off by saying this. He says, although I wanted to write to you about our common faith, so he was writing initially there to Christians. He says, "He says I felt compelled to write to you about defending the faith. He says, I wanted to have a conversation with you about all the good things that, that God brings in our life, and Jesus Christ does and and does to us and through us and and we could have had church talk and all that but but because of the current environment that you're in I feel compelled to stop and focus on reminding you that you need to keep what my mentor used to say the main thing the main thing and that is the topic of the gospel and while your gps or your mall map might say you are here whether it's in the skeptical end or the 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 sold out end of christianity we all have that starting point i pray that you would have the patience to journey with me here as we take a pause from our series on the psalms and focus specifically on the concept of the gospel the gospel and so thank you in advance for for your time and your mind I'd ask you to do two things. Some of you tend to be heart-driven. And what can happen is is that when you hear things, your heart will passionately rush ahead of your head and you'll begin to get defensive. Some of you are head-driven and you refuse to allow it to settle in and marinate in your, your, your emotions unless you're able to finish off and answer every question and dot every I and cross every T. This is going to take you to do what Deuteronomy the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 says that if we really love God or we want to understand him or come to know him wherever you're at in the map in the GPS you got to do it with all of your heart all of your soul all of your mind and all of your strength in other words there's some work to be done and so this is my prayer real quick I want you to give us feedback on this as we walk through it but let me just pray if you would Lord, I just thank you and I know that right now there are people that are listening who uh, many friends I have that are Muslims many friends that I have that are atheists and agnostics and an incredible group of former students and current church members that are followers of Christ wherever we're at in that map I pray that you help us to take a journey to bring us into a clearer understanding in the heart and in the head so that our hands and our strength could make a difference in this world we want to know you we want to find freedom for personal struggles in our life but we also want to discover our purpose and make a difference and anyone would want that and so i just pray that you give me the right words in jesus name amen it's a belabored drawn out explanation of really what i feel is the most important subject in the world and To be honest with you, the most important topic for your life is the gospel. Problem is that when I say that word, you instantly either throw up a wall or you throw down a bunch of definitions and you parody it. Uh, Here's what is beautiful. I want you to take a look at this video. And I'd love for you to give me feedback on it, but we're going to switch from me. And I want you to take a look at this called the gospel in 60 seconds. Take a look at this video and I'll come back and it'll help me explain to you what I I want us to understand here. You know, each and every one of us were created by God to live in a relationship with God. It turns out that the God of it all is all about love, a love that reaches out. You see, at the beginning, God and man were together, but because of man's mistakes, sin entered the world and separated them both. Our pride, greed, selfishness, it causes a barrier between ourselves and a perfect God. And so for a people who needed saving, God sent a savior. Jesus came and he walked on this earth in order to remind us how to love again and then he stretched out his arms wide upon a cross and he died to deal with our selfishness. You see it never ended with a funeral, it all started with the resurrection because three days later he rose again, he conquered the grave, he defeated death. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. He said if you're looking for a life of meaning, of purpose, then I am the way. Maybe you've got some questions, or you want some more information, and if you do, you can respond here. Here's what, here's what I love about that video that you just watched. Number one, I am a bottom-line, big picture, distilled truth kind of person. I've never been one to really love the, the, the tug and taunt of philosophical thinking. I love it when somebody can just give me the bottom line, you know, Um, not to the point where it's like, just give me the punchline and don't tell me the joke, but just distill it down for me, simplify it for me. It is absolutely uh, precious the way that those, those young people described what the gospel is. And I believe it fully in the way that they communicated it. But the truth of the matter is, is that it's an oversimplification of a truth. I'll never forget the day my friend Brendan Bridges, and I don't know if you're seeing this, Brent, I'll I'll call you up, but I'll never forget the day that you saw snow for the first time. He grew up in Zimbabwe, Africa. He was coming home with me. We were roommates for all but one semester of of our entire time at college, and we were visiting my uncle, and it snowed for the first time, and he was like, it was amazing. It was amazing. How do you describe snow to somebody who's never seen it? How do you describe color to someone who's blind? It was like the light came on. He had heard about snow and he was excited that he was going to get to see it. But I had the privilege of watching that moment firsthand. How do you explain the gospel when you've seen so much of it living in New England like snow or you simply have marginalized it as irrelevant for your life? My hope is for us to wrestle through over the next... month or so over the subject of what the gospel is and simple the word gospel in greek euangelion is this simple it means good news in fact mark's gospel it says the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god all throughout the book of acts which is the the church taking the news of jesus the good news of jesus and putting it into action and putting it to flight around the world has a phrase repeated over and over again, that they preached the gospel. They were preaching the gospel. They shared the gospel. In the book of Romans, chapter one, verse one, the apostle Paul said it like this, I'm set apart for the gospel. In other words, he said, I was born to do this. We believe in discovering purpose and making a difference and finding out how God shaped you so that you could be doing god's work and and partnering with him and say man i was born for this that's what the apostle paul said i was set apart for the gospel to share this thing called the gospel in verse 9 of the same chapter 1 he says i'm eager to preach to share to communicate the this thing called the gospel i'm not ashamed of the gospel in chapter 1 verse 10. and i love what paul said in acts chapter 20 verse 24 and this is a real solid top to the cake of his life he says but i do not account my life of any value nor as a precious to myself if only i may finish the course and the ministry i received from the lord jesus christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of god what is paul saying he was saying it's all about the good news of jesus christ what amazes me is how something that was intended to be such good news has become such bad news and there's a thousand reasons for that that i don't want to get into in this particular message but i want us to take a journey here and have an honest moment wherever we are in this map of you are here to understand that to call it the simple gospel or the basic gospel does not mean that it's shallow and in fact to think that you could sum up something in 60 seconds is a gross overestimation of the complexity of or a the the power of this thing called the gospel when you keep something simple you run into a risk of making it vulnerable and making it easily discarded let me give you a perfect life example diana and i were about to go out to dinner ethan our son was a year and a half, and her cousin Greg was with us. And so it was, it was actually the first Lord of the Rings when it was premiering in the movie theater, if that tells you how old I am. <sighs> See the dust. <laughs> well, she wanted to put her engagement ring that went with the wedding band on and just wear her diamond. You know, we were, we were young, we were in love, we were on that stage, our baby was young, we were just, she wanted to show off that, that uh, quarter of a carat bling, that, that little tiny chip of a chip of a chip. And so she, she went to get that ring and she couldn't find it. And she started to panic. She's like, I can't, we got to get to the movie. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't find my ring. I don't know where it is. We were wondering, did somebody come in and steal it? Her cousin, Greg, that was there said, you know, I heard a story recently about a woman who accidentally threw a, a six carat diamond in the trash or four carat diamond, four carat diamond in the garbage. And, The garbage ended up going to landfill she went to the landfill dug through the garbage and actually found it he said you should check the trash and sure enough as we dug through it her ring was down towards the bottom how did it get there it got there because our one and a half year old son who didn't understand neither the monetary or the sentimental value of that ring he chucked it in the trash. He was in this new habit of chucking everything. Where's our car keys? I don't know. Check the trash first. And it was gooey and it was gross and it was nasty, but that ring was valuable enough for us to, if we had to miss the movie, to dig through it, to walk through it. And I say all that to say this, is is that sometimes even for those of us, whether we're skeptical of the gospel or we are sold out for the gospel, we simply can easily glance over it so fast that we miss the power and the truth of the gospel neil uh, deGrasse tyson who is a astrophysicist a cosmologist a planetary scientist he's a contributor at the museum of natural history uh, an incredible brilliant mind he is not a, a a person of faith he's agnostic he would say that that i've seen enough of the universe through a telescope to believe that there's something out there but to nail it down to being knowable he would kind of say I'm not an atheist it's not that I don't believe a God exists it's just I don't know if we can know him and I don't know who he is but listen listen to what this man said it's brilliant he says one of the greatest challenges in this world is knowing enough about a subject to think that you're right but not enough about the subject to know that you're wrong and I think that that truth comes to bear out in the gospel of Jesus Christ not only from people who have easily discarded it because they didn't really understand the value of what they had in their hand, but also from some of us who have oversimplified it. And again, I said that when we, when we put something out there simple, it's not that it's shallow, but if we leave it simple, it bears the risk of becoming undervalued, superficial, and parodied out. Listen, let me just say it straight up. We live in an age of tweets, posts, memes, and in TikTok, literally 30-second moments where you can oversimplify everything. But Take it from a, a, so, a social point of view. Right now, with any of, of the, the means, social media has been one of the greatest things and one of the worst things to ever happen to our culture, because we've actually thought that we've, we could distill life down to a few sentences. Well, one thing's for sure, you can certainly destroy a life in a matter of moments. And you certainly cannot simply explain things out or explain things away fast enough in a tweet or a text or a post or a TikTok video or whatever it is that you might be doing. Socially, you can dismantle a person without the labor of unpacking a full life and examination of their character and their history. It's almost like the National Enquirer and tabloid press have been pressed out to the public so that everybody can run with it. Here's the other side to this. To oversimplify something in an age, like to oversimplify the gospel and say the good news and just leave it like that and not wrestle through the tensions of this and the explanations of it, you you run a different risk. If ever there was a time in our culture where the biggest threat to the gospel of Jesus Christ was our self and our inflated ego, our over over inflation of ourselves and our minimizing of other people and other views and even the value of God, it's now. And so why would I say all that? Because the truth is found in the simple gospel that is so complex and profound and yet so easy a child can understand it. In John chapter three, the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's King James Version. But let me read this out to you and set the stage. There's a man named Nicodemus. Now he is a Jew, or you could say in Christian terms, there are people who are Christians, they're Protestants, they're, they're Catholics, they're uh, Assembly of God, they're Baptists. There they were all different kinds of flavors of Judaism. At this time as there as there are of christianity and this man was a nobleman in fact every not every pharisee was a bad person nicodemus was the only person brave enough to go to pilate with joseph of arimathea and ask for the body of jesus back that took bravery that his disciples didn't even have so we need to i think we need to 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 note that but it says this in john chapter 3 verse 2 this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one can do the these signs that you do unless God is with him. What what is Nicodemus knowing? Now he's a very intellectual man. He might have had his degree from Harvard, MIT, BU, BC. In the Northeast, especially in the part of country that we live in, uh it depends on where you're at. I love how Tim Keller noted this. You could live in Philadelphia, and the question that they ask there is, is, who's your family? Because the aristocracy of the British all the way through to early America and forward names, families, that's a big deal there. You go to New York City, the question they ask you is, how much do you make? But when you live in this part of the country in Massachusetts, the question is always, what do you know? Or what letters do you have after your degree? How smart are you? He was a smart guy, but he was also smart enough to recognize that what was happening in his life through Jesus and what he was doing, what he was saying, blind eyes were opening, lives were being transformed, things were happening that nobody had ever seen. He said, listen, I'm a smart guy, but I don't have everything figured out. I think for those of us that are intellectuals and especially those of you that are skeptics, we should always step back at that moment because true intelligence notices things and examines it. He goes on and he says, Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I love the attention that the, for, the, the late Billy Graham brought, brought to that verse. He says this, he says, unless you're born again, you won't see the inside of the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He's taking him very literal. Maybe sometimes our struggle with the faith is, is that we're so stuck on our narrow view our oversimplified view of things that we get stuck on it or we have to make sure that it makes sense here before we allow it to make a difference here and but nicodemus wrestles with this and i think this is the problem with the age that we live in with the gospel and why the church is not the church that it's supposed to be and christians Uh, are not the Christians that they could and should be in the representation and the witness for Jesus as he should be, because we're not wrestling with truths. We're just tweeting about them. We're memeing them. We're parodying them. We're summing them up and we hit the equals bar. And it's like, we're trying to do geometry and trigonometry and we're times seven times six plus Y times C equals 3,472. And we just hit equals before we understand what does that mean? What does this mean? How is that divisible by that? And Nicodemus is a smart guy. He pauses and he says, hey, listen, I don't understand this. In verse five, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is of flesh. That which is born of spirit is of spirit. Do not marvel when I say to you that you must be born again. And this is where that famous phrase, being born again or saved comes from, which are all terms, whether you're skeptic or you're sold out for Jesus, we instantly say, I got that all figured out. I got it all figured out do not marvel that I say you must be born again the wind blows and he goes on to talk with him and Nicodemus said to him how how can these things be and Jesus said are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things I think somebody who's really intellectual I'm not I'm not I don't think that skeptics are bad or evil if you never think you never question you never question you never get answers I I don't, I'm not afraid of that. I think there's a difference between circular reasoning and hostility, but but Nicodemus is really trying to work this out. And Jesus says, he says to him, he says this, he says, no one has ascended to heaven. Let me go back, verse 12. Look at this. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? You know, part of the struggle of conversation is, is that maybe we're too intellectual and we're too scientific. And we say, if I can't, see, touch, taste, uh, wrestle with, prove, then I'm not going to give it any of my attention, and I'm just going to parody it over. And the bad examples of Christian in your lives uh, make it easy for you to disregard the faith and, and throw it over there. Those of you that are Christians, that should actually be a signal to you to say, man, before someone picks up and reads the Bible, they're reading my life. So the way that I conduct myself is important. Now, nobody's perfect. We have a saying in our church, It's the right direction, not the right perfection. Only God is perfect. Um, Jesus answered him, your teacher of the law. Listen to this. He says this. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him uh, may have eternal life. And then here's the famous verse. For God so loved the world, everybody in the world he so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life god wants everyone to get saved he's not rushing to the door to get out of the burning building with the few people that he knows and loves he wants everybody to get out of danger and into the blessing of of a relationship with him whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God and this is the judgment the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil for everyone who is wicked things uh whoever for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed, but whoever does what is true comes to the light. I like how that's worded because it doesn't make it sound like we walk in the light perfectly, but whoever does what is true comes toward the light so that it may be clear and seen that his works or their works are carried out by God. That's John 3, 1 through 21, and I encourage you to read it. Here's here's the starting point for this, and I know that I don't have much time to explain this to you why we're going to talk about it over a few weeks but here is the importance of why I lay this out it is so important that we get back to understanding what the true gospel and what Christ is all about because we have so oversimplified this and we have so reshaped the meaning that God has for our life, that not only are others missing out on coming to know who he is, but we're misdirecting our life and our faith in not experiencing the full life that Christ has for us. See, in order to appreciate good news, it always has to be contrasted against bad news. There's a joke I was reading just the other day that illustrates this perfectly. It says, a teen." goes to his mom and says to her mom I have some good news and I have some bad news right so what does the mom say well of course why don't you give me the good news first the kid looks at mom says the airbags in the car work perfectly like in other words the bad news is I crashed the car by the way I'll never forget this practical advice somebody told me if you ever have someone in your family that you're married to or a kid and they call you up and start describing a car accident rather than getting upset and angry or frustrated. The first thing that you come out of your mouth is, are you okay? Because cars can be replaced, right? We wanna lead with the good news because we feel better about the situation because we think it's gonna soften the blow. There's a man uh, who was interviewed on the Craig Groeschel Leadership Podcast. His name's Craig Voss. He is an expert hostage negotiator. They bring him and fly him all over the world for some of the most intense situations. And the link is in the notes for you to take a, a look at, at him. But he made a, a statement that was profound. He says, you know, in neuroscience, in psychology and neuroscience, The truth of the matter is, is that when you lay out the negatives, you actually reduce stress 100% of the time. So leading with the good news is, is not the best approach because the truth of the matter is, is that most of us feel that if, if we don't start with like the raw, bare, honest truth of the issue, we feel like somebody's deceptive. They're hiding something from us. They're trying to, so, so if I'm going into a, 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 you know, to buy a car and, they like this and they like that and they like this and the car salesman here's a great technique for you to be able to start and say you probably think that I'm here to sell you a car at an inflated price and but I want you to know right from the beginning this is what they cost uh this is how it works for me and you know just putting the negative news out there but you don't know what the you don't know it's good news unless you understand that it's bad news right you have to put out the bad news now here's the thing in Hebrews 11:6 6 it says this anyone who comes to God must first believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Now here's the truth. I am not convinced that I could, in one service here, touch on an introduction to the series on the gospel and talk to every single one of you who don't believe that God exists Or pull those of you that are really far off in a different direction, fanatical in your faith, and need to be centered, that we're going to be able to accomplish all that stuff. I get it, but the first starting point, where the arrow points in this. Anyone who comes to God must first believe that he is, and also that he's one who rewards those who seek him. What I believe to be firmly true is that if you're a skeptic, if you're not there yet with Christianity, like... The journey begins with kind of sorting out your skepticism and i'd like to recommend a book by tim keller called uh god in an age of skepticism i believe it is and just incredible mind but here's the here's the strange truth right now in our country in 2018 a group called pew research did a a poll and 90 percent of people believe that there was a god and a higher power they they say yeah i believe that there's god or there's a higher power and yet, out of all of those, only 56% of them, which is actually a majority if you think of it, they, they said that they believe in God as he's described in the Bible. If that's the case in our country, why is it so polarized? Why is it that there's so many definitions of gospel and Jesus? Why is it that when the same God who hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, and says, forgive your enemies, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, that there's so little of that to go around from a lot of people who say that they're people of faith. And I think that it's because we've oversimplified the gospel. Here is the bad news. The bad news is that there is not a single human being that will ever be able to earn the right to walk into heaven because of how good they are. In order to appreciate the good news, of Jesus and the message of salvation. You have to embrace the bad news. And before you embrace any good news or bad news, those of you that are skeptics, you have a journey to begin to to do the work of a genuine, not an op-ed reporter, but a genuine reporter of looking very critically and closely again and again and again on that skepticism of, is God real, is he really not real? It's easy for us to parody God out of our life because we don't want to have to realize that maybe we have to be dependent upon somebody or that we would be judged by somebody. But this is too big of an issue for you just to brush it away. And to be honest with you, it's too, bit, it's too important of an issue for us to think as Christians that we could sum up the gospel of Jesus Christ in 30 seconds. It's too big. So in all of this numbering of 56% and all these people, how in the world did we get from a person like the Apostle Paul who said, I... I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I am ready to die for the gospel. And yet it seems like people within the church aren't even willing to live for the gospel. How are we there? How did we get to that mark on the map that says you are here? I think part of it is because we've removed the bad news and we've promoted Jesus as somebody who loves you. Yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Yes, he loves you that he, want, he has a wonderful plan for your life. Yes, our church embraces that truth of the great command and the great commission that we're, love and purpose is, is found in God and it works itself through our life and out of our life vertically and horizontally that we know God, we find freedom, we discover purpose and we make a difference in the world around us. But how in the world do we get to this place where we're so narcissistic, so oversimplified Copernicus back in, he lived between the 1473 and 1543. He was a Christian and he was, he was a scientist and he made the discovery that, that the, the earth revolved around the sun. Up to that point, you know, up to that point, before that, they were thinking the world was flat. Uh, there are some people out there, sorry if you think the world's flat, but there's some people out there that thought that, but track me real quick. I just want to rush through this quick if either you'll understand it or not. So Copernicus comes in and says to the church, listen, I'm a follower of Christ. I love God. I believe in him with all my heart. Scientifically, though, I want you to see that actually the earth is not the center of the universe. It sounded and it preached really good. And he got all kinds of flack for it. But, but he said, we're revolving around the sun. Now, what he wasn't saying was everything that we thought about us being, being God's ultimate value and the focus of God's attention and and God making us the center and God wants to be the center of our universe he wasn't saying that he was just making the scientific observation that gave a fling into both the renaissance and the modern age and along come people like Rene Descartes in the renaissance in fifteen. 96 to 1650 a French philosopher and he begins to say the famous statement I think therefore I am in fact he made a statement for me to just uh he he went on to say this he said doubt is the origin of wisdom well the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom take a walk with me real quick to people like Voltaire who was a philosopher from 1694 to 1778 and he said the Bible will not be read and will be completely irrelevant in a century well few centuries have come and gone and it's still being read and in fact the place that was his home is now a repository for biblical manuscripts a library a physical holding spot for manuscripts and then the atheistic philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre he says life is unlivable without God think about that that was this dying moment to spend your whole life to dismantle the existence of God To just simply say life is unlivable without him why wait until the end of your life to come to that conclusion the late ravi zachariah said it like this the idea that humanity is evil is the most empirically verifiable and yet the most intellectually resisted reality the bible says it like this there's no one righteous not one in fact you, you read through romans chapter one starting at verse 17 and it's this downward spiral of depraved behavior. And it gets from bad to worse and worse to worser. And if you want to find out where you stand with God, just simply go through the 10 commandments. Did you steal something? Well, I didn't steal a card. Did it paperclip? You lie. Well, it's a white lie. No, adultery. Jesus says, if you look at another person with lust in your heart, it's as if you've already committed it. And then he goes on in Romans chapter Two and into three, he says, Listen, there's no one righteous, n- not one. That every single person is hopelessly lost. No one is going to be walking around in heaven saying, I made it here with the good news because I was a good person. The good news only makes sense if you look at the bad news honestly. And that bad news is that there is nobody good. God has not come to earth to give us a morality, He's come to earth to save us and he died on the cross to forgive us and he's coming back again to resurrect us not because we were moral but because we were completely immoral and the gospel and the good news is that that thing works itself through every part of your life if all of these philosophers were right then why did we have world war one and they said oh that'll be the war to end all wars and then there was world war two And then by God's grace, hopefully not, but if humanity continues in the direction, we haven't gotten smarter, we've gotten more simplified, and our wars haven't gotten uh, reduced, they've been increased. What will World War III look like? Every single person in this planet needs a savior. You see, the truth of the matter is, is we are totally depraved, which means that we need to be totally dependent upon God. And when I say that, I don't embrace that as somebody who is a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. But one point on there that is really solid that I would embrace 100% and almost all the others I would disagree with is that man is totally depraved, total depravity. Jesus said it like this in Luke 18, 19. He said, and why do you call me good? There's no one good except God. I love how Luke 11:13 13 says that if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit to him who asks? In other words, Jesus is looking right at humanity and saying, you're evil fathers. I mean, we wouldn't say that of ourselves. We'd be like, I'm a good person, right? Some people say, trust your heart. No, don't trust your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful and above all things is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Proverbs 28, 26, the book of wisdom. Thank goodness for it, because it says whoever trusts his own heart is a fool. If we say without sin, we deceive ourselves. Listen, unless you're willing to admit you're sick, you will never look for a cure. Unless you're willing to understand the bad news of who we are in humanity and stop starting with the good news and to try and soften the blow, you and I, my friends, will never look for the cure that comes through Jesus Christ. And it's simply this and it says in ephesians you're saved by grace through faith and not of works why so that nobody can boast and say i was good enough ask your average person who has a faith in in christ do you believe that jesus died for your sins yes do you believe you rose from the dead yes do you believe that you'll go to heaven i hope so no new testament writes it like this we write these things that you might know that you have eternal life total depravity means total dependency you will never be good enough i want to close with this thought and a prayer the most beautiful demonstration of how this whole thing of what jesus has done for us is not just it starts with being born again what we read in john three sixteen and on but is the metaphor of marriage when you marry someone It is supposed to be the ultimate personification of love, intimacy, trust, dependency. Now, not every story ends happily ever after, but when you have the holy God of the universe in that relationship. And yet at the same time, it's a complete legal standing. The theological word for this is called justification. God looks at you and we look at us and although he could pull out a punch list of everything that we have ever done wrong, if we have embraced the message of Jesus Christ, not only as someone who loves us, but someone who died for us, who resurrected for us, who has forgiven us, and we allow the gospel to work out in every aspect of our life, our standing with God is not just merely based off of our love or our consistency or our good behavior. It is totally a legal standing Forgiven, never to be charged ever again, and that's the message. Those of you that are skeptics, it's time that you stop thinking at all with your head, and maybe give a chance to lead with your heart. Those of you that are heart-driven and have oversimplified the gospel, it's time that you push this up a little bit and stop trying to share the gospel in 60 seconds. Because in a culture of memes, tweets, and and posts. It's, it's foolish for us to think that we can simplify something and sum it up that fast. We lose the value, just like my son throwing that ring into the garbage. I want to lead you in a prayer that you would begin a journey with us as we share through this message series on the gospel, that we would allow it to be what we call, and the scripture calls, the full gospel. The message is the part of it that we love and like, but also the with the bad with the good news that we embrace the bad news and we embrace it honestly you know one of the biggest problems i see today is that people no longer know how to own their junk people want to rush through sorry or avoid saying it at all listen in order for the cross to work you got to own your junk john 3:15. just as moses lifted up the serpent so the son of man must be lifted up that all that look to him might be saved you got to be able to look at the cross and say, I deserve that. That's my shame. That's my sin. I lie. I steal. I lust. I allow things to take the place of God. My security, my job, my relationships, my children, my hopes, my dreams, my visions. No. It needs to be Christ. It needs to be everything. And he can bless every area of your life. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, as I pray here now, I pray right now that you would open the heart for some and open the mind for others. But right now, no one can come to you and to God unless they first believe that he is. For those that are skeptics that are watching this, I pray that they would begin a journey. They'd open up that book, um, Belief in God, an Age of Skepticism, that they would begin to take a journey. It's too important to sum up God and parody him and discard him in the trash. Eternity is too important to do that intellectually just because we want to avoid looking at it but also I pray for those that have oversimplified the gospel and their focus has been on Jesus being their spiritual Tylenol Jesus being the 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 pain solver and problem solver instead of the transformer of their life and their conduct Lord I pray that you would help us to fall in love with the one who loved us so much that he gave his only son Come into our life forgive us of our sins be lord of our life in jesus name amen god bless you thank you for taking this extra time this week and i look forward to unpacking the simple gospel in all of its complexities and that god would work it out in our life in our world in your home and in the day that we live in jesus is alive and he loves you And he has the power to forgive you of your sins. Embrace that. He's not going anywhere. He's with you. God bless you. Love you. Thank you again. See you next week. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Be sure to check us out on all social media platforms. And check out our website, lowag.org, for all updates and info. See you soon.